Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that paved their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Coming up in this episode... I think hunting for a feeling from the past is, is confusing. You yeah. should be trying to get your relationship to a 10 out of 10, but it's, it's going to be different, but it'll, it'll, be, it'll still be a 10 out of 10. But what you want to do is hundreds of thousands of couples have come to me with this same issue, how to get that spark back, how do we get the relationship to a 10 out of 10. They need to go on dates. Yeah. yeah. A lot of couples, that just don't go on any dates. They don't spend one-on-one time together. They're busy with the kids. They're busy with work. They just don't have time for each other, which is just silly. You've got to make the time to go on the dates together. You've got to make time to have sex with each other. You've got to have time to communicate, talk, have those deep conversations, which you do with someone you love. Have those deep conversations all the time. Yeah. Spend that time together. Be physically intimate. Be affectionate. Welcome to the First Generations Podcast. Today's special guest is based out of Australia, known as the Relationship Master. He is an expert in personal relationships and has been a relationship coach for several years. Studying for multiple years to master and harness the power of attraction and relationships, he helps his clients on a global scale using a results-oriented coaching method from Richmond Din. Our guest specializes in making 10 out of 10 passion relationships, helping his clients build and grow and creating their ideal relationships. He is also known to passionately share his expertise and tips of the modern relationship struggles through social media platforms such as TikTok and Instagram. I am proud and honored to present you our guest for today, Jake Maddock. Hi, Jake. How are you doing? Fantastic, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. And I find your story very interesting, especially from a relationship coach. I believe you're the first relationship coach that we have on our platform. And one thing I like to ask all my guests is, what is one thing you're most grateful for at this very moment? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's hard to just pick one thing, really. Probably grateful for my partner. Probably. She's a real champion. Yeah. Do you have any kids too, by any chance? Or like... I do, but hopefully having more soon. Oh, hey. <laughs> I, I wish you the best of that and uh, I guess during our times with COVID like I, they're safe and well yeah everything's fine that's good to hear and are there any projects or opportunities that have arose as a result from the pandemic that's been keeping you busy it's really hard to sort of figure out how COVID has affected us at yeah. Maddox Coaching it's hard to say our business is going really well I'm not sure if COVID has anything to do with how well it's been going. Yeah. It hasn't seemed, it's only improving pretty much every month. I help more people, more and more people each month and the month before. I don't know if that's, if COVID has had any impact on that at all. Yeah. Really hard to say. I'm very glad to hear that. Like you guys are growing and things are going well. Just out of curiosity then, like maybe outside of your coaching or maybe through your clients or have you noticed that, Due to COVID, the whole dating scene has changed drastically, or do you think the dating scene has kind of maybe hasn't changed as much? It's definitely changed as in, at least temporarily, with lockdowns and stuff like that. If you, if the restaurants are shut, obviously you can't go on a date to a restaurant. Yeah. So one of my employees came up with a really good idea where she went on a date with a guy and he ordered Uber Eats for her and she ordered Uber Eats for him and they had, and it was like a surprise what you're going to get food-wise and then they would sit down and do a video call and sort of have fun 
you know, so you get a surprise meal, you don't know what you're going to get. Have a bit of fun with it. It's it's pretty difficult, but I think it's only temporarily. Mm-hmm. Like restaurants in some areas obviously aren't going to be closed forever. Where I live, the restaurants are open. Nice. In other parts, they're closed. So it's just, it's just temporarily though. But I think um, over time, dating will be back to what it used to be with going on dates to restaurants and stuff everywhere. We will probably see more increase in video calls though, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. And I kind of want to dive into your story first, especially, you know, your journey to becoming the relationship coach and the expert that you currently are. Because, you know, from my upbringing and from a lot of upbringings of the individuals I grew up around with, being a quote unquote coach is a very general and new kind of term, right? Like not too many people are really known. It's not a very comfortable term to have it as part of your career, but then adding on the relationship in front of it too. I think that there's still a stigma, especially with a lot of traditional families or families that are a little bit more status quo, where you don't seek help, right? You know, like seeking help is almost a stigma, right? So um, I kind of wanted to dive into your story there, especially with you, you have a background in the construction industry and service in the Australian Army. Would you have envisioned yourself back then that you'd be doing what you were doing? You are doing today. No, no way. Personally, I always thought I was made to be in like the SAS and stuff like that to be a warrior. Okay. Um, but I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing now because nobody teaches anyone about relationships. Nobody taught me about relationships. Mm-hmm. And it set me up on a painful path for many years because I didn't know how to achieve what I wanted to achieve. I don't know how. I didn't know how to get the relationship I wanted. Didn't know even what sort of person I wanted to be in a relationship with. So mm-hmm. then it just leads you to frustration and confusion and heartbreak for years and years and years. And you don't know what to do. And it's just confusing. And a lot of people, like a lot of parents, they have terrible advice like, oh, just mm-hmm. persevere with it or oh, don't worry about the little things and all this sort of jazz. And that's really bad advice. No one just, it's it's a really, it's a bad area for a lot of people. So was there a moment where, you know, you realized, hey, I'm going to start a career in the relationship industry? Like, was there a time or specific moment that you can, you can recall where maybe you were still in the construction in- industry and you're just like, bam, you know what? I'm done with this. I think I, f- I have this figured out and I need to help other people. Like, was there a moment like that? Can you share that? <laughs> For a long time, it just seemed like a pipe dream, kind of like becoming a, a world-famous author. Yeah, it was just a far-fetched thing. Yeah? yeah. I always thought to myself, oh, I'd love to be a coach and help people and make big difference in their lives. But I always thought it's not really possible, really. Who's, you know, I'm probably, it's going to be a hobby at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I found a way, learned from different mentors how to do it. And before you know it, you have heaps of clients who want your help and you're helping heaps of people. That must be such a gratifying feeling to the fact that you're helping others and you're doing what you're doing. That kind of gives you fulfillment, I would presume. It makes me very proud. It makes me very proud when I see one of my clients who, you know, had been single for 10 years and now she's in a 10 out of 10 relationship with our ideal partner and getting married. That makes me very happy to see. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up as a child then, did you have any aspirations? Like you mentioned, you would imagine yourself to be an SAS, like that's in the military. Was this what you aspired to do as a child too? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I just wanted to be a basically a warrior. Yeah, I would assume your parents didn't really have influence on your career path, nothing on school. They just let you do what you did. Yeah, they were pretty laid back. I'm one of eight kids. You almost get ignored. 
Like, it's just like, yeah, do whatever you want to do. We're too busy. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Man, one of eight. Wow. Okay. So the next question I have is, could you tell us or go through the whole process of what a relationship coach actually does in general? Because I feel that, again, like, like that term relationship coach, or even if you go seek help with the psychiatrist, there's almost a stigma to it in some certain mindsets. And I believe this profession is not known to many people, and we don't really understand the full scope of these services. Have you seen the, the movie called Hitch, by any chance, with yeah. Will Smith? So is that what a relationship coach kind of does? Like, does he or she take on the role of Will Smith, or is that kind of a bit, like, dramatized? Kind, kind of. of. Okay. So Hitch does teach people skills, yeah. which is good. But relationship coaches don't really do the matchmaking thing, help you get a certain person. But mm-hmm. they teach you the skills so you can do it yourself. Yeah. I want to talk about stigma for a second, though. Yeah. There's a stigma around everything, and it's ridiculous. Like, I coach a lot of women in their 40s and 50s, and they go out with these guys, and these guys are coming to the age where they're starting to have trouble getting erections and all this sort of stuff. And I push these guys to take Viagra, and then you, you get hit with the, oh, I don't need it, and all this sort of stigma around it. I'm like, shut up and just take it, yeah? Obviously, see prof- a medical professional, but... Just what's with the bad attitude around all this sort of stuff? Hey, and then a lot of people have come to me and said, look, I've learned more from you in a month than I have five years with a psychiatrist and all these sort of stuff. I I actually coach a few psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so basically, if I could break down what a relation, what I do basically is in short, I help people who feel unlucky in love. Okay. But to break it down a bit further, if you've been single for a long period of time and you had trouble, you, you just wanted to find your ideal partner, but you didn't know how, you have trouble online dating, you have trouble dating, you don't know how to communicate, you don't understand masculine or feminine energy, you're just you're attracting the wrong sorts of people, you're all over the mess, right? Mm-hmm. I help those people find that ideal partner and get to where they need to be and break those negative patterns they're in. And then the other thing I do is if a couple comes to me and they're having a lot of trouble, and their relationship isn't going very well, I can show them how to get it back to a 10 out of 10. So I love how you brought that up. So how would you say you differ from compared to like a marriage counselor or does a relationship coach kind of take that role as well? Because again, this is a, such a touchy subject, right? Like sometimes people like couples, they, they're hitting rock bottom in their relationship. A lot of times from what I hear, they're like, go see a marriage counselor or go see a counselor, you know, you two both need help or whatever, blah, 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 blah. So I guess, is it fair to say that a relationship coach would take on that role as well? Kind of. So everyone's different. It's not all relationship councils are the same. Yeah. Not all coaches are the same. It's such a vague term. It's like, if you wanted to build a house, there's a million different builders and they're all different. Oh, that and the sense. word coach is funny. Like one of the biggest relationship coaches in the world, Matthew Hussey, doesn't call <laughs> himself a relationship coach. I think he calls himself a human behavioral expert, even though 100% of his stuff is about dating and relationships, which is good. He's got good content, but he doesn't call himself a relationship coach, which is just, I don't know. That's That's how I like to describe myself. Okay. No, that's, that's very interesting. So then what are your thoughts on pickup artists? I think the term PUAs for myself, uh, I'll, I'll share like, like sometimes you see these ads on YouTube or like I have a friend that that's like in the dating scene and he's like, go check this guy out, check this or check this person out or check whatever this company is out. And I just want to know what your thoughts are on that because personally, I feel that a lot of it can be deceiving. It's almost like- uh, It's not great. 
a lot of it's about manipulation and yes. deceiving, playing games and all this sort of stuff. I really teach people how to find someone who you can have a 20, 30-year relationship with, fall mm-hmm. in love and have that really deep connection that we want. Yeah. Um, I do teach some pickup skills, but it's mainly just around raising your own confidence, yep. never about playing games or deception and all this sort of stuff. Those games like leaving people on red and ghosting people temporarily and all this sort of bullshit, they're short-term games. And if you play short-term games, you're going to lose every time. Mm, yeah, 100%. And yeah, you nailed it right on the head. The way I looked at it too, I find that for a lot of pickup artists, like it's all short term, like you said, right? Versus the relationship coach. Like if you're in it, you're serious, like it's all long term. Yep. Yeah, 100%. And what do you think is one of the biggest misunderstandings or stigmas perceived by the general public or society when it comes to, you know, your profession? Ooh, that's a good one. A lot of people place a large amount of weight on qualifications. So they think someone who's a trained psychiatrist or a therapist will be far better than a relationship coach, which, look, I've met plenty of people who have high qualifications who are very, very stupid. Mm-hmm. And I've met people with no qualifications who are extremely smart. You've got to base it on the person. Mm-hmm. I have qualifications and they're not worth the paper they're printed on. They're complete garbage. I've learned 10 times more than mentors than I have from any course I've done. And I coach people who are practicing psychiatrists and they are so stupid when it comes to relationships. They, you can see why they've been unlucky the last 10 years. Absolutely hopeless. So qualifications, people put so much weight on it. You really got to judge the person. Yeah. I'll name an example. And you tell me if this is similar when it comes to looking for like the perfect or the right relationship coach. So for me, there's a time where I was helping some friends out. Uh, they're, they're looking for financial advisors. And I told them, like, don't go to the first financial firm that you see. Book an appointment with seven or eight of them and interview them because you technically you want to make sure the person you're giving your money to invest in and to take care of your finances, you want to make sure they're successful too. They can back their talk, right? You know what I mean? So I would assume that's the same with relationship coaches too. Like, you don't want to go to like a relationship coach that doesn't have those credentials to show, right? That's right. It's the same as getting any mentor. Don't go yeah. to someone broke if you want to learn about business. Don't go to someone fat if you want to grow a body and you don't hire a fat PT. Yeah. Don't hire a relationship <laughs> coach, which is single. Yeah. yeah. I've had a, t- a 10 relationship for years with my ideal partner. And there's a lot of relationship coaches who are single. That's stupid. Yeah. Find someone who's done it. That's with anything in life. If you want to be successful at a certain thing, Find someone who's done it so you can say, how'd you do it? And they'll tell you. And then you go and do the same thing. It's not complicated. It's just just ask someone who's already done it. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I kind of want to transition to specifically your expertise with relationships. There's this quote or there's this term coined one-nitis. Do you, have you heard of it or do you know what it means? Say again, what was it? One-nitis. One-nitis. So essentially what it means is the thought or idea that there's only one person, only one person that is for you. So for example, like you don't believe in that, right? Statistically, numbers wise, I find there's about one in 10,000 people. Okay. One in 10,000 is about the number from what I've seen with people over the last few years. So in about 10,000 people, there'll be about one there who you can have a 10 out of 10 relationship with for the next 50 years. And if you're in a city with 10 million, do the maths. There's, there's, you should have a fair, decent, you should have a, a couple of handfuls of people who you can have a really, really good relationship with. Yeah. 
so then again with one night is it's like the for example it's when people say she's the one or i thought he was the one or the perfect girl perfect guy you know that one soulmate so obviously you don't believe in it neither do i where do you think that comes from like where do you think that idea stands from just a fantasy like it's a fun it's a fun thought to have the idea of soulmates scientifically it obviously doesn't make sense but it's a just a fun idea it's the same as you know having aladdin in a bottle yeah the genie it's just a fun idea and it's probably been around for thousands of years it's a fun idea i like using the word soulmate sometimes Mm -hmm. but scientifically don't think about it too much because just it's ridiculous Ah, I see. So what is one of the biggest misunderstandings that you find when it comes to maintaining a healthy relationship? For example, for myself, I find that it's it's almost out of like as if once you're married, like that's like almost the finish line. But little do many people realize until you actually get married, it's like you actually have to work to maintain it. You don't just achieve it. But after you achieve it, achieve that, you got to maintain it over it. And it's always a consistent thing, right? So uh, yeah. for me, that was like misunderstood until I actually went through that process. But for you, what do you think is the biggest misunderstanding when it comes to a healthy relationship? It doesn't necessarily have to pertain to marriage, but... There's so many things. Like everything in life, if you ignore it, it's going to go really bad. Okay. So even even your backyard, yeah, your, your grass, yeah. you can have a really beautiful lawn and you can mow it every week and water it and make sure it looks really pretty. But if you ignore it, it's soon going to fall apart. It's going to be full of weeds. It's going to look pretty bad. You yeah. can't just ignore it. You got to look after it constantly, all the time, and you should enjoy it so you can enjoy it. Yeah. But if I could break it down into five pillars, what I say my five pillars are to a 10 out of 10 relationship. Okay. They're attraction, masculine and feminine energy, courtship, okay. intimacy, and communication. If you focus on those five things and have a good understanding of them, you should be okay. So when you mentioned attraction, mm-hmm. Is this something that's natural and beyond the means of what someone else can do? Like when you say attraction, is it, is it, does this have to do with just pheromones or is this more so like something material where, where you can put on makeup, you can put on accessories? Like where does that align? It's a bit of everything. It's a bit of, it's a confusing one for a lot of people. When I, when I say attraction, I want people to think of like magnets. How much pull is there for that person who to want to spend time with you? Not, it's not just how pretty you are mm-hmm. or more. People to think about attraction like everything you say and everything you do makes your partner's attraction for you go up or down. So you can look really nice, but if you're a complete asshole, no one's going to want to spend any time with you. Yeah. 100%. So everything you say and everything you do makes your partner's attraction for you go up or down. So make sure you do and say things, which makes their attraction for you go up. Now you can see this over time with long-term relationships. They're either getting better or they're slowly getting worse. And then a couple just hate each other. Because yeah. all these tiny little things over and over again, just making the relationship a little bit worse. We need to do the opposite. Do these little things day in and day out, which make it slowly better. It's a very powerful trick. <laughs> Momentum, compound interest, it's very similar. You mentioned courtship too. So can you briefly go into detail for that to go into courtship for our listeners and explain that into detail? Yeah, for sure. So courtship is basically just a fancy word for going on dates. Right. So the man should take the woman on a date, even if they've been married 20 years or it's just a first date. They should be, he should be taking her on dates all the mm-hmm. time. Okay. And the perfect date has four parts. All right. He asks her out on a date. Right. No tricks, just super simple. You only go on a date this Friday, something like that. Yeah. And then the second part of the date is doing an activity. 
yeah, a million different activities you can do. Take it to an arcade, bowling, archery, horse riding. There's a million different things, right? Make it fun. That's your point. You're supposed to have fun, talk about it. It's like a dual hobby, an activity. It's enjoyable. Third part of the date is going out to dinner, right? Have a good time, okay? The man should pay for the date. Have an enjoyable time. Be chivalrous. Talk less than the girl talks, guys, okay? Make sure the girl talks more than you. Yeah. Be affectionate. Be romantic. Be charismatic, yeah? The fourth part of the date is the end of the date, okay? The drop-off, the the conclusion of the date. Be affectionate, yeah? Don't be embarrassed of your sexual desire, okay? Go Mm -hmm. for it. Go for the kiss, yeah? Dance a little bit. Do something fun. That's a perfect date. That's good to know. Use it, Aaron. Use it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So out of those four steps... What do you think is the hardest part out of the four? Like, I would assume maybe for an individual, not necessarily a male, but maybe a female as well, maybe the last step might be the hardest part. Uh, Could be. It depends uh, how much experience you have, and it depends how confident you are in yourself. Okay. So if you're really confident in your body, yes, you might find the last step the easiest, and you might find the third step sitting in a restaurant and trying to make conversation the hardest because you're not a very good conversationalist. Mm-hmm. just depends where you think your strengths lie and how experienced you are at dating. So if in your entire life you've been on less than 20 dates, you're probably not going to be very good at it, yeah? Yeah. But if you've been on a few thousand dates, you're going to you're going to know what you're doing if you've done it right those couple of thousand times of course. Another topic that is discussed but not so much discussed is sex. Yep. Especially throughout a marriage or relationship. So how important is sex to maintain a marriage relationship based on my readings and hearing, let's say, my friends' relationships or even my own and my prior ones in the past? Generally, it's it decreases as the length of the relationship gets longer in many relationships. And I think that's not because it's how it naturally is. It's just that, like you said earlier, I think it's because we don't know we as human beings or maybe we, we were not taught how to maintain or how to be in a relationship, right? In a healthy one, at least, in the very least. So, like, in terms of sex, how important is it actually? Extremely important for a whole bunch of different reasons. Now, as far as nature's concerned, yeah, yeah, perhaps nature does have something to do with the slowing down of it in a long-term relationship, but only if you allow it. Only if you allow it. So, if you can set the boundary and set the expectation of the relationship early on, say, look, at a minimum, we're going to have sex three times a week, every yeah. week, forever. And then they go, okay, no worries. That's that's what it is going to be. And that's the way it is. Yeah. So a lot of people have trouble setting that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have the idea, oh, you should only do it when you feel like it. What a load of shit. If you're in a long-term relationship and you only do it when you feel like it, you're going to find yourself pretty quickly in a sexless marriage. Yeah. There's sometimes me and my partner do it and I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. And sometimes vice versa. Mm-hmm. Some people call this coercion. Some people call it rape. There's extremists. That's pretty extreme. Yeah. You love each other and you're doing something that you like for your partner, right? Even if you're not necessarily in the mood, you're going to get in the mood pretty quick anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some other great ideas some people do long-term is they schedule it in. They say, look, every, every Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m., we're going to do it. Great, yeah. whatever. Sure, it takes a bit of the spontaneity, a bit of the magic away, but it's yeah. still a good time. You're still going to have fun. So get in there and have a good time. And again, a lot of people, as they get older, struggle with hormones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We have a huge problem with men with low testosterone. Guys, go and get your testosterone checked. I don't care how old you are. Go and get your testosterone checked. If it's low, take testosterone, obviously. Yeah, You want that testosterone at optimum. 
optimum levels, high levels if you can, not just for sexual health, also for your heart health, your brain, your, your mentality, okay? Yeah. People with, men with low testosterone feel depressed. They do. So you want to feel good and you want to live your best life. You can't do that with suboptimal testosterone levels. Those hormone levels are extremely important, okay? So you got to look after your body, make sure it's running well. Yeah. So speaking of testosterone then, do you have any recommendations for foods, maybe from a diet aspect that will that will may help boost that testosterone or even boost the sex life? What I've seen is guys who don't do a lot of physical exercise, they yeah. eat a large amount of carbs and junk food, they have trouble, yeah? And okay. not to mention that their bodies also look bad. So you you want to keep that fat level pretty low, yeah? Okay. And you want to eat, you want to, realistically, you probably shouldn't be eating many carbs, yeah? Mm. I know in our diets, pretty much everything's carbs. People, usually we eat too much carbs, Meat and veggies, that's pretty much, that should be your main staple on the diet. Leave the carbs behind, okay? Um, so many people are addicted to carbs. I was addicted to carbs for a long period of time because they're delicious. Yeah, carbs are great, but they're not really helping us. We don't really need them. If you could just eat meat and veggies, you're going good, yeah? And your blood pressure is going to go at a good level and you're going to be able to have that really good sex life and you're going to feel like it more. Sure, food won't be as enjoyable, Mm-hmm. But your sex life will be 10 times better. So a lot of people, they just eat too many carbs, I find. Yeah. What are your thoughts on long-distance relationships? There are some individuals, again, on, whether it's on social media or relationship effects, where some of them are like, nope, those don't work. Versus some are like, yeah, you can make anything work if you put your mind to it. So out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on a long-distance relationship? Great question. And what I say is you need to think about your radius. So what I want people to think about if you want to do long-distance relationship is how far are you willing to travel on a Friday night after you finish work? You work a normal nine-to-five job and you want to go and see the person you like on a Friday night, how far are you willing to travel? Mm-hmm. Now, when I was single, my radius was about four hours in the car. That's how far I was willing to travel, which yeah. isn't that far in Australia because everything's spread out here. Okay. That's how far I was willing to travel. I wasn't willing to travel five hours because I'd be too tired. But four hours, I was still okay. So that was my radius. So you've got to think about what your radius is. Mm-hmm. So if they live further away than you're willing to travel on a Friday night, they're probably too far. So you're not going to drive 10 hours on a Friday night because it's going to be Saturday morning, right? Yeah. So you've got to think about, well, how far am I willing to travel? And can I see this person at least once a week? If you can't see them at least once a week, they're too far. You shouldn't be seeing them. Some people try to make relationships work between like the UK and USA and all this other shit. Too far. Way yeah. too far. Human <laughs> beings are mammals. Basically, we need to see the people we love hmm. every day. Okay? That's why people who work away for work and are in the military and all this other stuff, they have a lot of trouble making relationships work. It's very difficult because human beings need to see the people they love every day unless the relationship will suffer and it will go aggressively downhill very quickly. Mm, yeah that definitely makes sense kind of going back to testosterone have you heard of the no fap movement by any chance yeah for sure <laughs> so also what are your thoughts on that because with the whole no fap semen retention i believe that also relates to that impacts your testosterone levels but not only that that also has an impact to what your dopamine levels again that quick gratitude it's just your easy dopamine fixes as they would quote unquote it so like what are your like thoughts on the no fat movement like is do you think that works not really so it's good to have it's good it's very good to practice self-control that's very important yeah but 
not ejaculating for a month, I don't think that's really good for you. It can actually increase your chance of prostate cancer quite dramatically. A lot of studies have shown if you ejaculate at least two or three times a week, your chance of prostate cancer goes down by like 30%. So it's pretty aggressive. But besides that, self-control is good. So if you're watching porn and you know, masturbating every day, that's not good. It's, that's, you're out of control, yeah? You want to have some, you want to have some discipline. So I, I tell people, you know, young guys, if you want to watch porn once a week, that's it. If you, if you want to masturbate more, that's fine. Use your imagination. Don't use porn. Yeah. What about for couples that are, again, going back to our prior conversation where, you know, couples are starting to lose interest in, in each other. What do you think is like the first step to help jolt up that relation, like to, you know, give that boost, that spark to help bring that back again, bring back the initial feelings? Or should couples not be hunting for the initial feelings, but they should be hunting for newer experiences? Like, I think hunting for a feeling from the past is, is confusing. You yeah. should be trying to get your relationship to a 10 out of 10, but it's it's going to be different, but it'll, it'll, be, it'll still be a 10 out of 10. But what you want to do is hundreds of thousands of couples are coming to me with this same issue, how to get that spark back, how do we get the relationship to a 10 out of 10. They need to go on dates. Yeah. yeah? A lot of couples, that just don't go on any dates. They don't spend one-on-one time together. They're busy with the kids. They're busy with work. They just don't have time for each other, which is just silly. You've got to make the time to go on the dates together. You've got to make time to have sex with each other. You've got to have time to communicate, talk, have those deep, conversations which you do with someone you love have those deep conversations all the time yeah spend that time together be physically intimate be affectionate do all those things put in the work do some dual hobbies works too so go out and do something which is fun you both may love tennis for example so you go and play tennis once a week yeah whatever it is do a dual hobby together so you're having fun so you're becoming somewhat as best friends as well as romantic partners you mentioned 10 out of 10 relationships so can you define that Maybe none of us or only a few percentage of us has actually been in a 10 out of 10 relationship. So how, what is a 10 out of 10 relationship? Yeah, it's it's very rare. If you look around, very hard to find anyone in a 10 out of 10 relationship. Yeah. I've created a fair few myself for my clients, but it is rare because most people choose the wrong person and a lot of people just don't know what they're doing. But a 10 out of 10 is basically just your opinion. Okay. So for example, Aaron, you go out to dinner, you order a pizza. And I ask you, rate the pizza out of 10 for me. Yeah. If you say it's an eight, well, then it's an eight out of 10 pizza. So it's just what your own opinion is of the person who's in the relationship. So there's no good of people in a relationship. And I tell them what I think it is because yeah. I'm not in the relationship. It's mm-hmm. who's in the relationship. What's their opinion of what their situation is? What's their number? Okay. No, that's, that's pretty cool. And it's almost like if I was to think about it, it'd be like that feeling of falling in love. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got that deep, you got that deep love feeling 100%. And feel indestructible. Yeah, you feel great. You feel like you're in heaven. You're in love. You're feeling great. Oh, yeah. So what are some red flags that stand out to you yourself? Now, if you feel that there are red flags that differ between genders, like male and females, like I'd be happy for you to share them too. But like for yourself, like what are some red flags that stand out to you? If there are any, especially when you're going on a date with a person for the first time or maybe your first couple dates. Firstly, red flags are very personal, opinionated things. So everyone's red flag is completely different. Yeah. So the important thing is, guys, if you listen to this, grab a piece of paper and a pen, write down 10 red flags that you don't want to see personally. Okay. Some red flags that I hate to see are people who don't understand masculine and feminine energy properly. So a woman who is really, really masculine 
yeah. has to be the leader and it's just a real handful and really difficult to get into a feminine energy. And guys who are the opposite, super feminine, they hate being the leader, they're not ambitious, they want someone to take care of them, they're looking mm -hmm. for a mother, just all that sort of rubbish. I hate that. Super unattractive. Some other red flags are people who are still in love with their exes, obviously. They talk about their ex nonstop, oh, yeah. super toxic. And other people who just, some red flags are people who just have a million issues. Yeah. There's this wrong with them, this, this, and they just, and they almost wear those problems like badges. And they go, these are all my problems. And they're wearing them like they're almost proud of their problems. So, but again, red flags are very much your own. So okay, definitely okay. write down what you don't want to see. Cause that's important. Cause what happens is, if one of your red flags is, for example, smoking cigarettes and you meet someone who looks really pretty, you'll go, ah, she only smokes one cigarette a day. It's okay. Your emotions cloud your judgment. So yes. write it down so your emotions stop making you decide what's right and wrong because you already wrote it down before you even met the person. I love how you mentioned that. Your emotions cloud your judgment. That is so true, especially on many, on many multitude of scales. <laughs> 100%. Not only do you talk about, you know, achieving a 10 out of 10 relationship, but you also talk about maintaining a 10 out of 10 relationship and how one of the major components is effective communication. So can you share or elaborate on what effective communication looks like? Because I personally believe, I believe it extends beyond just the talk or the, the conversing between your partner or your relationship on the verbal level. I think it's definitely beyond just talking or text. Oh, I hate texting because I feel like that's kind of inorganic, but. Can you share or elaborate on what effective communication actually looks like or define it? Sure can. So communication is obviously really important, guys. But how I like to describe effective communication is how do you want your partner to feel when you finish talking? So if you want your partner to feel motivated and inspired and empathetic, communicate that in such a way, right? But if you, I think we all have a circumstance where we were talking to somebody and they felt deeply offended by what we said, but that wasn't our intention. That wasn't effective communication on our part. We didn't effectively communicate because they feel very different than how we wanted them to feel. So it really comes down to how do you want them to feel? If they feel the way that you wanted them to feel when you finished talking, you did a great job. You effectively communicated, yeah? And this comes into all the different plays of how you communicate. So if you want to communicate, if you're a woman, you want to communicate out of your feminine energy, use physical touch, use a soft voice, sit beside him when you talk. If you come at him with a sense of aggression out of your masculine energy, that's not going to be effective communication because he's going to subconsciously and consciously think that you want to fight. So you don't want to do that. So you really want to think, how do I want him to feel and how can I do that? And it often comes back down to masculine and feminine energy. And as you said before, Aaron, the intention behind the communication. You've probably heard of the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, right? I, would I have. Assume, what do you think of these philosophies? The love language by Gary Chapman, uh, it's good. It's a good theory. It works well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's a good understanding. Um, guys, if you haven't read the book, do it. Yes, yeah, figure out what your partner's love language is. Speak to it. Figure out what your love language is. Make sure your partner knows what it is, okay? Yeah. And make it, make it, it does work. It, it works well. For our listeners, the five main love languages is words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. Like Jake said, check out that book because I think it will give yourself or any, any of your friends around like a, a deeper understanding of how to communicate. So what is your love language, Jake? My love language is physical touch and probably quality time, both of those. Do you find that almost every human being has at least two? Or Here's the thing about love languages is yeah. everyone loves all five. 
Yeah, then there's okay. nothing negative in the love languages. Okay. Yeah. It's very rare for someone not to like all five things. So what I recommend is do all five, guys. Yeah. So okay. don't do all five every day, but do all five. So buy her a gift. Be mm-hmm. tell her she's pretty. Be affectionate physically. Yeah. Uh, do acts of service sometimes. Yeah. It's good to be balanced. Don't go overboard with it, but all five are good. So do all five, definitely. I would assume it's also a good way of learning the other person's love language as well, right? Based on their reactions and how they accept it. So I guess the next question I have is for those that are entering the dating world, whether this is for the first time after, like, say, a 10-year hiatus or, you know, after an end to a relationship, you have three aspects that you tell your clients to focus on, like one of them being writing down the type of person you are looking for. Can you elaborate on why you back up this exercise and why it is so important to do that? Yeah. Most people just don't know what they want. Yeah. Most people put more effort into buying a car or figuring out what degree they want to study at university compared to their partner. And your partner you're going to spend the next 20, 30 years with, but most people don't put much effort into what they're actually looking for. They don't know what they want. So they start saying really stupid things like, I'm just looking for someone nice. The more vague (laughs) you are, the more trouble you're going to have. You need to be super specific. Yeah. So write down that person in as much detail as possible, what they look like, what their hobbies are, their personality, their love language, what they do for work, their hobbies, mm-hmm. really detailed in everything about them, okay? The more specific you are, the more chance you have of finding something very close to your list. Now, the next step, I believe, is right when you first down, you write down what specifically attracts you in your partner and your potential partner. So the next is becoming what you want to attract. Are you also able to elaborate on this as well? Because I think this is 100% key. Like for a lot of guys out there, I find that even a lot of my friends, uh, acquaintances, like they go out to a bar or nightclub to meet. It's almost a big one of those environments to meet future spouses. (laughs) But it's, and again, people are different, but it's, I think the environment that you choose to meet people in is very important and crucial, right? So becoming what you want to attract it's, it's a really good thing to try to do. So if you want a high-value partner, you need to yeah. become high-value yourself. A lot of people want someone who's a 10 out of 10 yeah, and they look like complete garbage. So if you want a guy who looks like a bodybuilder, yes. but you sit on the couch all day and eat Cheetos and watch Netflix, he's not going to be interested in you at all because it's a total disconnect. Yeah? yeah, You have to become what you want to attract. People who are really fit want other people who are really fit. People who are highly educated with 10 university degrees and a doctorate probably want someone who's fairly educated themselves usually okay mm-hmm. birds of a feather flock together yeah mm-hmm. so yes. you want to become what you want to attract so if you love mm-hmm. self-improvement and all this other good stuff find someone who is the same find someone who also wants that same stuff now would it be fair that let's say if you want your ideal partner to be chiseled or to be very good looking physically, like, you know, maybe a location would be like a fitness convention or something like that, I would assume. Honestly, honestly, there's only five real places to meet people. And statistically, your highest probability is online dating. Online dating? Okay. The highest, the best. It's not even close, Aaron. It's it's easily double statistically. You you easily have double more chances of finding them online dating than the second best option. A lot of people hate online dating. If you don't do online dating, you're cutting your chances down by about forty percent. Most people are using it wrong. That's the problem. When you say most people are using wrong, is it because they're using it to hook up, or like how are they using it wrong? 
well. They have shit photos, for one. They put up all these <laughs> photos of themselves looking terrible. They don't put any effort in their photos. They write yeah. a stupid, aggressive or passive-aggressive bio. Okay. So most people look at them and go, yuck, and they keep swiping, yeah? Okay. It's, you're selling yourself. You've got to put your best foot forward, yeah? If your pictures aren't amazing, you're not going to find someone amazing. Most people aren't putting the effort in because they think it's stupid and then they wonder why they're not getting results. It's like going to the gym and walking on the treadmill for 30 seconds, picking up a dumbbell once and going, why don't I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? This is ridiculous. It's because you're an idiot. That's why. That makes sense. Have you heard of Kevin Samuels by any chance? He's like some kind of... A lot of people keep telling me his name, but I don't even know who it is. But I've heard about 20 people ask who it is. He's some kind of YouTube mogul. He's, um, I think his profession, he's like a image. Oh, cons- he's, he's, yes. He's an image consultant. I listen to some of his content, but I don't 100%. I don't like the way he delivers his yes. message. I know the it's- guy you're talking about. The old, he's an older fellow, hey? Short yes. hair. Yeah, very short yes. hair. I see, uh, I see him on TikTok. He's harsh. <laughs> he is very harsh. <laughs> I've seen him talk to people and he's um, ripping into girls saying, yeah, you're garbage and all this sort of stuff. Pretty yeah. funny. It's funny, uh, a lot of his stuff, I don't agree with it, but um, one of his things that I do really agree with is uh, his his focus on focusing on yourself and not being entitled to what you want without putting any work into it. So an example of that would be, let's say, if let's say if you happen to be short, right? And he'll be like, okay, first off, you're short, you've dealt bad hand, fortunately, because it's not as desirable in the dating world, but you should not be short and out of shape. And he said, you should not be short and out of shape, not for the other person, but you should not, you should be short and healthy for yourself, not for the other person, right? So I guess my question I have referencing this is, do you think you can, or an individual can have, sorry, an individual that has a, a large amount of self-love, do you think they can also be in a relationship as well, in a 10 out of 10 relationship? Or do you think that normally conflicts because maybe... The, the individual self-love would be a little bit more focused on themselves and maybe not into their partner. Like, do you think this is compatible? It depends because the word self-love is kind of vague. It's kind of vague. It depends because it can be, you can have a high level of confidence within yourself and be humble or you can be super arrogant. And look, sometimes arrogant people go really well in a relationship with other arrogant people. So they're both looking in the mirror the whole time, really concerned with how they look. Yeah. And they think they're better than everyone else, but they're really in love with their partner because they're the same. Okay. Okay. So what I recommend is finding someone who's the same as you. So if you really care and it takes you, you know, two hours to do your hair in the morning because it's got to be just right and, you know, you're getting Botox every day and all this other jazz, find someone who's the same because if it's the opposite, you're going to have a huge disconnect. Mm-hmm. But then you can just, you know, walk around and be arrogant together. And look, being arrogant gets a bit of a bad rap. Yeah. Okay. If you're not hurting anybody, go out and be you. Yeah. Have a good time. Yeah. And here's another question. True or false? Or is this a myth? You are best compatible with someone that's the complete extreme opposite of you. Ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) So look, opposites attract, but that's only to do with masculine and feminine energy. So opposites attract, but similarities will bond us. Mm -hmm. So you can be opposite as in a masculine man and a feminine female. Yeah, that works. You have to have some similarities in communication, in values, same level of integrity, similar sorts of personality, all that sort of stuff if you really want. Because you want to be best friends with this person, Mm -hmm. yeah? If they're completely opposite to you in every way, how can you be friends with them? It'd be so, it'd be very bizarre. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. 
And just out of curiosity, too, because I know, like, you mentioned something that's super important, but I feel like it's it's just so in-depth and detailed that our listeners will probably have to check, you'll have to check out Jake's Jake's tags and links, um, but you mentioned masculine and feminine energy. Like, yes. This is something that's just not, like, a couple sentences or a couple pointers, right? There's, there's a, I believe there's a whole science behind this, and you can't just, like, have one video that will tell you what it is and what it what isn't and how you can adopt it you just you don't just adopt it like in five minutes after reading one thing right so do you have let's say a youtube page or maybe a source that would best have have enough resources for others to find out what masculine and feminine energy is yeah i do talk about it on a lot of my socials so my youtube channel and my tiktok i make videos about it um but it does take a while to learn yeah, and it is a little bit different for each person, mm-hmm. but it's mainly about the traits, guys. So men, try mm-hmm. to be as masculine as you can be. Step into that masculinity and be proud of it. Yeah. Girls, step into that femininity and be proud of your feminine energy, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, just think about the traits, yeah? Masculine energy is about being a protector, being ambitious, being a leader, things like that, yeah? Being a feminine energy is more about being nurturing and supportive, mothering, joyous, kind, things like that, all mm-hmm. right? Think about the traits. Think about what traits you want to display. And if things aren't going well too well for you, you probably aren't having a good understanding of masculine and feminine energy. It's extremely important. Now, Jake, we're about to wrap up the podcast here, and I have three questions that I ask every one of my guests. So the first question I have is, is there one book or resource you would recommend to our listeners that was specifically most impactful to you and your development in becoming who you are today? It's a tough question. I've read so many great books. It really depends what your goals are because okay. I've read a lot of different books, but they are so different. Yeah. Or, Patrick sorry. David's Next Five Moves. That's a great book, but it's kind of business orientated. Okay. okay? Coach Corey Wayne's book, How to Be a 3% Man, is really good for mm-hmm. guys to read. That's a good book for guys to read. I've read hundreds of books, but they're all very different. They're all good, though. So definitely it's self-study. It's very important. Nice. What about, let's say, from a relationship standpoint that may apply to both males and females? There's nothing. Nothing? (laughs) Honestly, there's nothing. I've read a lot of books on relationships. There's some books which are for women. There's some books for men. I've never read a book which works well for both, Mm -hmm. but I've written one, and it's getting published and will be out next year. Okay. So for us to find more details about it, I guess we would go to your website. Uh, you'll see it. it okay you'll see it just follow me on social media i'll be advertising it everywhere so you will see it next year sometime nice okay now next question i have for you is what does being first quote-unquote first generation mean to you now i refer to this definition more so metaphorically instead of literally so in the dictionary you know being first generation is about being a pioneer to being first in a location to, to discover or explore a location and so on but I use it in a more metaphorical sense where I define someone as first generation as someone that has paved their own path and definition of success on their own terms. No matter the hardships, negativity, or obstacles they've had to overcome, they didn't give up and they continue pushing on. And in our in our world, I find that many individuals have similar journeys, but no one walks the exact same path. So that to me, that's my definition of first generation. So if I was to ask you, what do you think it takes to be first generation? What would that be? I'd probably have to say integrity, just being true to yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you find your passion in life, like my purpose in life is to help as many people as I can with relationships. Yeah. Just be true to that. And you can't give up because it's who you are. So it's just, it's like taking the next breath of oxygen. You just, you have to do it. Yeah. And you get to do it. 
and you can enjoy the process along the way. So just be true to yourself. And if you have that ability, use it and use it the best you can and always look to improve yourself and really pursue that purpose really hard. Man, I love that integrity. Now, last question I have for you is where can we find you on social media? Where can we find more details about Jake Maddock and your work online? Quite a few places. So okay. you can follow Coach Jake Maddock on TikTok. You can go Jake Maddock on my YouTube. Okay. Jake Maddock on Instagram. Jake Dot Maddock on Instagram. Jake Maddock on Facebook. Pretty much just my name, except okay. on TikTok, Coach Jake Maddock. But um, yeah, it's it's all there, guys. So check it out. Uh, my TikTok's very popular. So very popular videos on there. Oh yeah. And hey, for our listeners, I'll be posting all of Jake's links in the episode podcast description below. So be sure to check those out. And Jake, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing your perspectives and your expertise on relationships. And I'm very thankful that we have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I'd love to come back one day. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generation Podcast. For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.